Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Guys, this past Sunday, I um, I was privileged to minister to a lady um, who prayed to receive Christ, okay? Um, my uh, service was later in the day, and therefore the church had sort of gone home, and there was just a few, and I did my normal invitation, and I saw this lady raising her hand, but it was sort of like confusing because I thought she was worshiping or she was just praising God, and so... I went up after her, and she goes, "Were you the pastor? Were you the one who just?" I said, "Yeah, I'm the one." And and I and she goes, "I said, did you pray to receive?" She goes, "I prayed to receive Christ." And we had this this dialogue going on, and and after a few minutes of chatting back and forth, I prayed for her, and then I shared with her how she now became married to Christ. Okay, she's a, she's an older gal, single lady, and all the struggles that goes with. And I said, well, no, no, hold on, hold on. Now you realize that you're 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 you've just got married today, and she's like, yeah. I mean, I know. I mean, I mean, I said, in giving your life to Christ this awesome afternoon, you became the bride of Jesus. And she kind of looked at me and was like, huh, wow, hmm. And then I said, well, you need to remember to be faithful to him because he's your husband. And it was a glorious day. It was just amazing. And those are those little nuggets. And you go, well, Ben, why do you tell that story? Because when we come to chapter 19, I find it interesting that we're going to study the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? And this is, to be honest with you, this has been a, 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 an event that the church has been anticipating throughout history. Okay, this is the church's greatest celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's how it goes down, guys. We have essentially been betrothed, betrothed slash married to Christ. Okay, ever since we got saved, ever since we said yes to Jesus, and, and, and we've sort of been here waiting, we're waiting for the day where he's going to come and literally sweep us off our feet and take us to be with him forever. We know we're living in those days. We're living in those days, guys, and, and we're anticipating it. And if you are not getting up every morning and looking for Jesus, you need to be. Because he's coming. Well, Pastor Ben, let me cross my arms and frown my bro and, and brow and say, well, you don't know. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Guys, but listen, we've been given so many seasons and so many signs that we could go, it's close. Fred, it's close. Okay? Fred preaches the Spanish service at, at Calvary Chapel in El Paso, and he probably preaches, it's close. He's telling the people, he's warning the people, because a good shepherd is going to warn the people. And we can't wait for that day. We can't wait for the day. <sighs> because we're betrothed. You go, what does that mean exactly? I didn't know I was betrothed. Well, it means to, to be engaged, to be married, or slash married to the bridegroom, and he's going to come get us. But let me, let me just step back. Let me, let me, I'll say I'm going to save that for just, I'm going to explain what that means a little bit later on. Okay? But we are betrothed. Now, listen. Being with Jesus forever will, being with Jesus forever will make heaven what it is. Heaven. You understand that. Now, the importance, guys, for the believer is to be in love with Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. And I'll talk to so many well-meaning Christians and beautiful souls that say, boy, I can't wait to get home and see, and they'll name maybe a loved one. And then maybe I'm gonna, I can't wait to see my wife, and I can't wait to see my husband and my uncles and my aunts and my grandpas are there, and all that is wonderful. But heaven is heaven because of Jesus. And all that is going to be a beautiful reunion when we get to see. Listen, I lost my mom when I was there. I can't wait to see her. But I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. Hey, he's my everything. He's the one that, that like, it's, it's what? It's your breath in our... God, it's you. It's you. Heaven isn't heaven 
if Jesus isn't in it. And by reading and studying Revelation, we've been able to, now listen, we've been able to prophetically do what we will never have to do historically as Christians. Amen? What did you just say? You didn't give me an amen. We're not, we've gone through this prophetically, what we're not going to have to do historically. We're not going to go through the tribulation. Okay? I find it interesting, we are in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, but if you listen to Radio by Grace, Pastor Bill just started Revelation, Greg Laurie's on Revelation, I'm just like, okay, here we go, and and they're bringing out stuff that they copied from me, I'm just telling you, I just know what they did, they listened to my podcast, and now they're preaching it on the radio, but anyways, it's uh, it's uh, it's so cool to see, it's so cool to see, but it's also very sobering. Because all of us in this room have somebody we know that is not right with God. They're not saved. And there, <sighs> pastor, they're going to get left behind. We're going to keep praying. Let me ask you a question, and then we'll move on. Do you believe that God can save anyone? And we need to pray that way, don't you think? Never let us go, oh, they're too, um, oh, I don't know. Well, they're too far gone. God's Holy Spirit, if we just believe, we just believe. All right, so let's read. Let's just read a little bit first because I'm going to go through, okay? Revelation 19, let's look at 1 through 7, and then we'll come back and we'll just uh, make some comments. Uh, John writes, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servant shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever. And 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then the voice from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were a voice of the multitudes as the sound of many waters and the sound of many thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory For why, guys? The marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Now, let's pause there for a moment, because if you recall, let's go back a little bit. We've seen the judgments and the atrocities of the day of the Lord. It's awful. Guys, we have every Wednesday night been going through a lot of the seals and the judgments, and uh, it's been horrible. I, I got to be honest with you. My brain can't comprehend what the world is going to look like after it's all done. I go back and I remember what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that Jesus, my Jesus on the cross, was unrecognizable. In other words, that you didn't know that was a man. You didn't know who it was. Because he was beaten so bad. And I'm thinking the world is going to be unrecognizable at all. I'm not sure we're going to have our little, our little cute houses and our little subdivisions and our little sub, you know, all, I don't know what the, I just know what I've read and, and I didn't do it justice because it's probably worse than what I could even proclaim here in scripture. But chapter 19, if you're taking note, It's a contrast, guys. It's a great contrast of the rest of Revelation. Why? Because we started off with what? With worship, with majesty, with a celebration. Okay? Why? Well, if you recall, two weeks ago in our last study, we saw that religious and commercial Babylon were destroyed by the Lord. Sodom and Gomorrah, if you will, revisited. And the reaction of those on the earth, what was happening on earth, they were weeping. Do you remember? Do you remember? They were weeping. And not because their lives were lost, because their meal ticket was gone. Commercial Babylon, the merchants, oh, I can't believe Eva, we can't shop no more. That's what they're doing. And it trips me out. 
It trips me out. This is what was going on. Now, just really, 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 really quick, if you recall, there's religious Babylon, there's, there's what? There's commercial Babylon, and there's political Babylon. And these are the very three things that in our world we seem to struggle with today. Politics? Are we having stolen elections? Is there fraud? <laughs> because what happens to any one of us goes, well, I'm not going to vote anymore because it's not going to matter. So we have that struggle. Then you have religion. We, well, let's shut down the churches because let's make sure that everybody's healthy. And look what it's done. It's shut down the churches and it's divided people. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Okay? He wants to divide us. And then, of course, we're going to see, and you can see it today, economics. Oh, there's going to be a one-world currency. But even today... What's happening is because of mandates and so forth and unemployment and government, because of all of this stuff, guys, the workforce is not where it needs to be. And now you're going to start. I, I read today that some of the airlines are going to pull their, um, their smaller routes into the hubs because they just don't have enough people. And almost to date, like, the, like it wasn't bad enough before where airlines were delayed, Right. But now it's because they don't have enough people to cover. As a matter of fact, it was last Wednesday, we were supposed to end up in Sioux Falls at about 12 noon. Okay? Flew from here to Denver. From Denver, we waited for about an hour and then got on. And, and what happened is I, that early morning, okay, we got a, we got a text. Um, the crew didn't get enough rest. Your plane leaves at 10. Well, I missed my connection. How do I get to Sioux Falls? Well, the, the next one going out is... Nine o'clock that night. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So we did it what any Christians would do. We rented a car and we went and, worked and, and witnessed to my brother and his fiance. So that was a good thing. And um, made it back and got to Sioux Falls at 11.30 at night. But, it, but you see how that's going to affect. And it's going to trickle down. On every area, you go into the, you'll go into, hey, we just want to get a meal. We just want to go in a restaurant. Well, sir, um, I see that you have several tables open. Why are we waiting 15 to 20 to 30 to 45 minutes? Because we don't have, exactly. Not to mention, if they do get sick, I pray they don't, and I pray none of you get sick. But if they do get sick, guess what? Your cooks are sick. Your wait staff is sick. And all of a sudden, we have to shut the your favorite restaurant down. And everybody lives, come on, let's be honest, everybody lives, how? Paycheck to paycheck. We can't afford to miss one week. And this is where the world is going. That's what was happening here. The earth, in chapter 18, was wailing. Wailing, because they couldn't shop anymore. But the reaction of those in heaven was just the opposite. If you read it, they're rejoicing. Why? Because it signaled the end. Okay? The rejoicing carries over. Notice it says, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is going to be amazing. And the inhabitants of heaven are rejoicing. Why? Because, catch this guy, go ahead and take a note, put this somewhere. The wedding feast is about to take place. The wedding feast. Now, in our study of Revelation, we've noted a few times in Revelation that's not a hard book to understand, okay? You need to, div- to follow the divine outline, okay? Which is, he says, write the things which you have seen, chap- vision in chapter 1, and which things are, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then after this, chapter 4, okay? The rapture, the church in heaven, the honeymoon, and then we see from chapter 6 to 19, we've talked all about the tribulation, and we would followed the chronological flow, three sets of judgments. You guys remember, it started out with the seal judgments, okay? And God goes, okay, repent, and they're like, no, we won't, and he goes, okay, here's the trumpet, right? And, and, then, and then we saw the bowl judgments, and then and it was just... So here's a question, okay? Put on your thinking caps. Here's a question that many people ask about the book of Revelation. You ready? Pastor Ben, if the rapture took place clear back in chapter 4 
before the tribulation started, and everybody goes, amen, okay. He says, why are we now reading about the wedding feast? That's a great question. You guys are so smart. Wow, that's a great question. The answer is found in understanding what takes place in the customs of a Jewish wedding. You go, what? Yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to give you some insight into a Jewish wedding and how it paralyzed the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of our study, we'll come back and we'll read it again and you'll see, okay? So we're going to give you, we're going to lay some foundation so you get this. When you look at chapter 19 and you go, oh, here we are, marriage supper, you'll go, I got it. I know why. I know why. So, the Jewish marriage ceremony is rich and wonderful picture, and it's a picture of our relationship with the Lord. Okay? Why? Because the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, right? Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, Paul writes, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, God says, I'm jealous for you. Very, very important, okay? The Lord says here that you and I have been betrothed. We are betrothed. But we have to ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, in the... Basically, the Hebrew Greek language, more of a, more of the Hebrew. Let me kind of give you this. It's called, because we're looking at the Jewish, it's called the Caducean. The Cadu, that's what it's, K-I-D-D-U-C-I-N, the Caducean. And it's basically, it's the Jewish marriage arrangements, and basically there's two stages to it, okay? And you go, what's that? First of all, there's the engagement stage, okay? The engagement. Marriages were arranged. They were arranged, kids that young, my daughter to your son, we're not going to, this is too important decision to let him, they're immature, so this is what they would do. When their kids are born, they go, okay, this is it. <laughs> That's going to be your husband. That's going to be your wife. And it was an arranged marriage. Now, there are, guys, if you're taking note, some instances in Scripture where a man tried to choose his own wife without the directive of the father or even the influence of a father. You go, what's that? Well, the problem with that, before I tell you, is it always ended up in heartache or a headache or tragedy or disaster. You go, what do you mean? Well, do you guys remember Samson? Samson should have had a arranged marriage, but he didn't. Okay? He saw the woman at Timnath, and he says, Dad, I love her. Go get her for me, Dad. And it ended up bad, didn't it not? You go, yeah, yeah. You go, who else? Well, you remember Esau. Esau, he married two Hittite women, and it broke his parents' heart. Isaac and Rebecca is like, oh, no, don't do that, son. Don't. Esau's like, I'm not listening to my, I'm not listening to this Jewish tradition. We're gonna, I'm going to do my own thing. Broke their heart. Do you guys remember Jacob? Even with Rachel, it resulted in problems. Just a few examples. But in Jewish culture, guys, the norm was the marriages were arranged by the fathers when the children were very young. One exception. In the event that the woman's husband died, she had the opportunity, according to the Levitical law, to pick from his single brother. Okay? which made for some interesting conversation, okay? Think about this. Dad comes up and he announced that he had picked a bride for his son. I got a bride, right? Those boys, the brothers need to pay attention, okay? They need to pay attention. They need to check out how, you because know, you never know if they might end up with her, okay? If they didn't like what they saw, they might say, Dad, listen, are you sure this is the one? You've seen her, right? And and Joe Bob's not feeling that good. I'm next. Dad, come on. Dad, could you just pray? Pray about it, Dad. Pray. Pray, Dad, pray. Are you sure you heard from the Lord? You, you guys understand that, right? So I always joke with Nathalie about this Levitical law, right? I always joke with Nathalie. I said, 
Um, if something happened to me, she'd have to marry uh, my oldest brother, Leonard, right? And um, she was like, no, not on your life. So she's lucky we're not Jewish. So that was the exception, okay? They were, there was an arranged marriage. The rest, again, were, were by arrangement. So the very first stage, guys, was they were engaged at a... Could you imagine... Could you imagine? And that, that did cause heartache, didn't it? Because they would grow up and they'd go, well, dad has me marry this girl, but I'm in love with you. I don't know. And we see that through Fiddler on the Roof and so forth. Not to spoil that if you haven't seen it. Can you imagine being eight years old? My, I, I, I could not imagine going, and of course she's my granddaughter, but I would be like, okay, she's already engaged too. And then you could add somebody at that age. Now, the second stage moves from engagement to betrothal, okay? This took place usually when the girl was about the ages of 12 to 16 years old. This is when they're betrothed. So when we read the story, the gospel story of Mary being betrothed to Joseph, it helps us understand. Oh, oh. See, she could have been somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. That's Mary. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? By the way, I did some un- unscientific research that I'd like to share with you. You go, what's that? That's unscientific, okay? It's just my opinion. You go, what's that? Mary was a godly girl, okay? And I thought, I found it interesting that anywhere between ages, what, what did we say, 12 to 16, that's when the Lord came to her. She was very godly. She's falling. She, she loved the Lord. And, and, and you guys know the story. That's why we have Christmas. But I thought, isn't that interesting that it's usually around that age that our, our little girls tend to be attacked more than anything? I find it very interesting. Unscientific, just my opinion, standing on the side. It's not, it's not the word of God. But I'm thinking... I think Satan doesn't want anything. I mean, his his all idea is he he doesn't want to repeat any of that scenario. And how much better we would do if we had our 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 25 and 35 godly women serving Jesus. It's a battle because the world is, is, is full of bright lights and it's full of, of just, hey, come hither, come to me, it's going to be good. And, and, our, and our kids are going that way. But we've got to take a moment, Christian, and look at our lives. We've got to take a moment and look at our lives. And, and what would imagine what it would be like if we were really fired up for Jesus what would that look like in the lives of our 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds? What would that look like if we were really sold out for God? What would that look like? Okay, not, let, let's even say goodbye to the girls. What would that look like in, in, in Lubbock if we were truly sold out? On fire. I mean, just, just ex- I heard this this morning on Radio by Grace. Luis Palau was saying a story how the CEO of Coke back in 1923 all the way to 1955, he said that his vision was for everyone in the whole world to to drink Coke. Okay? And that was his vision, and he was so passionate about it that he would, and, and, and he would come up with these slogans, and he was just motivated. And, and the purpose of Luis Palau's story was, can you imagine if we were fired up like that? And if we went, if we were so fired up, our vision was that everyone in the world would hear about our Jesus. Could you imagine we could turn this world upside down? Yeah, Pastor Ben, but God, to be honest with you, I went to my neighbor and they're just, they just shun me, man. But, but we've got a lot of neighbors. But we've got to be fired up. Let me, let me just say this. Okay. This is not even my notes. This is free. Okay. This is from the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, draw a circle on the ground, step in that circle and ask God to revive everything in that circle. God, revive me. Feel me. I want to, and then just go and watch what he can do. Watch what he can do. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you're, when you're doing your job or when you're going into. God will put, 
listen, I made, a, I made a best friend there in Sioux Falls. I don't know who she is, but I was like, I walked in. I felt the Lord saying, you need to talk to her. I went over and I was like, hey, we're having this outreach. Come on. We were, here we are swapping grandkids pictures. Look at this. This is my grandkid. Oh, no, please come. I don't know if she came. I didn't see her. But I know, what if we were that fired up for God? What if the next time you went into Market Street or Walmart or whatever it might be, you just felt that spirit? You go, hey, I just got to tell you. I just got to tell you, God loves you. Guys, that's, that's, I mean, think about this. So at the time of our betrothal, sometimes the bride-to-be and the groom's first meeting uh, if they lived a, if they lived far from each other. And here's what would happen, okay? The fathers would come together with the kids. The father of the groom would negotiate. Now, jot this down. It's a mohar, M-O-H-A-R, a mohar, okay? And you go, what's a mohar? A mohar was the price that was to be paid by the father of the groom, okay, for the bride. You understand that? It's a mohar. So they would come in and go, okay, and, the, and there's, there's, there's the guy, and he goes, okay, this is my wife. This is going to be my wife, okay? So the, the groom's father would go, okay, okay, so how much? How much for her? And sometimes there would result in a lot of haggling. Well, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. And so that's Jewish, okay? This is all going on. Now think about this. This is really cool. Why? Because the price of the mohar would be determined by three things. You go, what's that? First, it would be the father's wealth, okay? If he were a rich man, he better not be cheap, okay? It doesn't want to insult the bride's family or appear to be a cheapskate, so he would want to be generous. So that's, he would go, okay, well, I'm marrying your daughter. Okay, how much? How much? The second thing would be determined by the price of the bride's worth. Okay? What did you view her to be worth? You go, what do you mean? Is she worth two chickens? Is she worth a horse? Is she worth a camel? Do you guys understand? It would be like, okay, what's she, what she, what, 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 what is she worth? So, if dad is rich, oh, Ben, this is going to be good. The mohar is going to be good. If the bride was, oh, oh, Okay, and third, the price would be determined by the groom's work. In cases where the groom's family was poor or deceased, the groom would have to what? Work to pay the price. You guys got that? You go, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. Jacob was on his own, and what did he do? In order to marry Rachel, he had to... There you go. Yeah, exactly. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's biblical, right? So what did he do? He, he worked for seven years for her. So again, he's like, I don't got anything, but I love her. But, oh, I love her. Uncle Laban, I love her. Well, he ended up with two, but that's a whole nother story. Caleb, if you guys remember, he offered his daughter to anyone who could conquer the city of Kirjath-Sefer. And Othniel, right? Do you remember Othniel? He, re- he responded in Joshua, I'll do it. I'll, take, I'll go work for her. I'll, I'll take any city. Any city. Saul offered his daughter, Michael, to the men who would kill Goliath, right? So again, think about this. Think about what was going on. So the price that was determined for the marriage could be accomplished like the work of, like, like Jacob, I think about what Jacob said. Do you remember? Those seven years were like nothing. Boom, 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 boom. Right? That's what he said. His, oh, I don't care. And so again, you guys think about it. Think about it. Or it could be through war, like Othanel. It could be through, I mean, it could be all kinds of stuff. And you might be here tonight going, well, Ben, I thought we were going to study Revelation. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me, okay? Because the whole process is a wonderful illustration of the work that has gone and God has done for you and me. And you go, how so? How so? Well, listen. The Father has chosen us to be the bride of his son. We're the bride. We have been betrothed to Jesus. God has paid the mohar. How? According to his wealth. Well, how rich is God? How rich is God? 
What could God give that would be an accurate measure of his riches? I mean, would it be a billion dollars? Right? All the gold in the world? Maybe he says he's worth a planet? I don't know. What determined his wealth? What did God have? Or let me say it this way. What did God only have one of? His son. His son. See, God says, listen, this is, this is what I have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, here's what it gets even better. Paul, in writing to the Romans, says this, but God demonstrates. How does he demonstrate? Okay, Romans 5.8. His own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, what happens? Christ died for us. Okay, so I love that. He demonstrated. Now, I love the fact because here's what here's what the enemy did. You need to go get cleaned up before you come. No, 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 no. God demonstrated his love. We were messed up. Okay, newsflash, you ready? We're still messed up. Are we not? Are we not? Come on. How many, how, it, it, listen, if you're over here and you've made it, like you're it, then you need to be up here preaching because I still messed up. I walk through Jesus every day going, Lord, walk with me, heal me. I want to draw closer to you. So God demonstrated his love. Guys, it cost the Lord greatly for us to be the bride of Christ. Okay? So second, what's the second on the Mohar? What's, what, was, what, was the worth, what was the worth of the bride? Okay? How valuable are you and I in the eyes of God? Well, Arabs have a story, part of their folklore, and it's, um, Nathalie knows this one. It's a story about a man who had a daughter, okay? And in his eyes, she wasn't much to behold, okay? And thought, well, she's never going to get married. Oh, poor thing, you know? And one day, a suitor came calling. And he said, how much will you offer how much will he offer? I don't know. I, I'd be happy with a bird. Well, you've seen her. I'd be happy with a lizard. The man looked at the, 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 man looked at the dad and said, I'm going to give you six cows for her. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? I'm going to give you six cows for her. See, the village, guys, the record village was three. And he's going, I'm going to give you six. The father was amazed. So he's like, now, hello, you know, where where are them cows? And he does that, right? So they were married and they moved to another village. A year later, right, they returned for a visit. And when they came back, people saw the man's daughter and they were amazed. She was stunningly beautiful. She held her head high. She was standing tall. People asked her, what happened to you? Her reply, she said, I'm a six-cow woman. In other words, she realized that she was a six-cow woman, and it affected her whole outlook. And suddenly, she stood up straight, right? She carried herself with dignity. She literally became what was worth to her husband. Wow. This is just a side note to dads. You need to tell your daughters they're beautiful. You need to tell them, guys, and take them on dates. You need to. They need to be six-cow daughters. Worth a lot. The enemy is so good because when I was ministering to this lady there in Sioux Falls, she kept telling me, well, I'm, and, and she's giving me a list of all the stuff that she's, that all, all, the, all the shortcomings, all the sin, all the, all the junk. And I told her she needs to knock it off. That's not who she is anymore. So the daughters, guys, who's... Her, her whole countenance changed once she realized 
her worth to this man. But my question to you is, what about you? See, you're the bride of Christ. And Peter declared in 1 Peter 1.18, it says, knowing that you are not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you realize how precious you are to Jesus? We sell ourselves so short every single day when we don't realize the price, the way, the way God sees us. And a lot of us are hoping to get into heaven by, by crossing our fingers and our toes and, oh, Lord, I just hope, I just hope. And the Lord says, no, 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 listen, listen. You're a six-cow bride. You're worth everything. You're worth everything. I'm just like, wow. But I know what you're thinking. What's that? Life has hammered me, man. I'm on my face. I'm on the floor of my face. And how? Listen. This is what you need to be reassured. You know what? God loves me. God is for me. He won't forsake me. He wants the best for me. How do I know? Because he gave the very best for me. Do you see it? you see it? Why? Romans 8.32. Guys, jot this down. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So we're the bride of Christ, right? We're the bride of Christ. Well, what about the work of the groom? Well, first of all, the work is he identifies with us. He identifies with us. Number two, there's warfare. How so? Well, he fought long and hard on the cross, shedding his own blood to secure the salvation for eternity. He conquered the world's greatest enemy, the giant much bigger than Goliath. He conquered the devil, death, and paid the price for men's sins. That was warfare. Well, what about work? Well, he worked for 33 years, ministering here on earth, fully accomplished on the cross at Calvary. What's, what's the point, Pastor? Guys, jot this down. All this to say that the mohar, the mohar was paid. That price was determined and was fully accomplished by the Lord. How do I know, Mel, you're going to heaven? How do I know? I know because the mohar was paid and it was accepted when Christ resurrected. That's how I know. Well, it has nothing to do with me. Amen! Amen! Yes! Because if it had anything to do with me, I fall short. I miss the mark. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Well, what happens, guys? What happens after the mohar had been paid? Well, jot this down. What comes next is called the matin, M-A-T-T-E-N, the matan. Okay? The, the part of the price was paid is to set aside a dowry for the bride. Okay, part of part was given was the case in case she becomes a widow or divorced or deserted. Part is given to the father of the bride because she's losing he's losing a daughter, and unlike a son, she can't carry on the family name. Unlike a son, she can't run the family business. So part of the mohar goes into the father's bank account. Okay? At this point, something really interesting happens. You go, what's that? As they meet together in the room. The price has been worked out. The money is placed on the table. Guess what happens? It's with a contract to be signed. And what it means by this is a serious matter. This is a serious matter. Okay? After this, check this out. The bride and groom do something for the first time. What do they do? They take a cup of wine and they each take a sip. You're like, wow. This is a cup of the covenant they just made. They are... Right here, contract signed, legally married. But they don't live together. What do you mean? Because the marriage isn't going to be consummated for another year. So she stays home. She's legally married. She stays home. But this agreement is so binding that if they wanted to, to call it off, they'd have to go through divorce proceedings. The bridegroom were to die at this time. The bride would be considered a widower. I mean, and it's just like, wow. You go, what does that mean? Okay, put your thinking caps on, guys, because once again, this parallels our situation perfectly. On the night before 
his betrayal, Jesus, where did he go? He meets in the upper room with his bride-to-be. There on the table is the what? Is the bread representing his body. This is going to be what? Given to pay the price for the bride. My body broken for you. Then he takes the cup, the cup of the new covenant. What was it, guys? It was a a contract. It was a contractual agreement. And the contract is the book that we now hold in our hands, written in black and white. This is the contract. Okay? Jesus said on that night, he says, man, listen, I'm not going to eat this meal with you again until I eat it with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the betrothal. Okay? Now, what happens next is so intriguing. What's that? After the contract is signed and they drank the bride, right? And the cup is drank and the bride would begin to wear a veil over her head for approximately one year. Okay? What did that mean? That signified that she was taken. She was not available. Now, listen. Now, this veil would distort her vision just a little bit. The same is true for us. What do you mean? Paul said that we are looking through a glass, dimly, fogged mirror. That's what Paul says. We have one eye in eternity that distorts our vision concerning the things of this earth. And we're not as attractive. We are taken with our bridegroom, but we should have no eyes for others. Right? So what would happen? Well, we have a veil. You know what that veil meant? You're taken. You're taken. Can you imagine when we worship something other than God, it's like lifting the veil and committing adultery. Well, I went to Calvary Chapel and Pastor Ben said I couldn't root for my team. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we worship if we take something that is good and make it ultimate above God, guys, we're taking the veil off and we're saying, I'm available. I'm available. But God just said he's jealous, so he's not going to allow me to do that. He wants me wholehearted for him. Well, what am I going to do in the meantime? Well, if you think about this, the, the bride right now would be working on her wedding dress. Her wedding dress. Okay, you go, well, Ben, I got a question. We've been talking about it. What about the groom? What about the groom? Guess what he would do? You guys know this. You guys are smart. The young man would return to his father's house and he would begin a construction on a little mansion, they would call it. And it would be in addition to the father's house. Right? Wow. That's what he'd do. Go, honey, I'll be back. And he'd go and he'd start working and he would add on a little room. Remember what Jesus told his disciples after they had eaten the Last Supper? He says, I'm going to go to my father's house to prepare a mansion for you. He says, I will come again to receive you to myself. So the groom would start working, but it was the father who would determine when the house was finished. So, okay? So it's all set. Alex needs to come and put electricity in it, but once he does that, then dad's going to say, it's done. It's done. You're just like, this just trips me out. Guess what would happen? While, listen, listen, Eva, this is going to get good. While the building was starting to get done, you heard, I heard Alex is about to get done. It's going to be done. I heard, I heard there's electricity. So what would happen is the bride would start getting signs that it was almost done. What? The bride would get reports, and she would know that the day is getting closer, closer, and closer. Could be any day. And so she'd go with her. She'd look around and be like, could it be him today? Oh, he comes. I'm so Whoo, it's been a year. Let's go. And she would, oh, that's even closer, right? Whoa, is that Alex? That's Alex. He's done. Okay, it's all about dad now. It's all about, and she would get so excited. Any day. Guys, think about it. And then now it became accustomed to have the wedding, right? It became accustomed to have a wedding on a Wednesday, which is, which is the Jewish day. It really begins on a Tuesday night. Now, the reason 
they would get married on Wednesdays because the courts were open on Thursday. So that if it was discovered that the bride was not a virgin, a divorce would be rendered on Thursday. Since that was the case, once the house was completed, the bride and her bridesmaids would gather on Wednesday nights, really Tuesday nights, but it became a custom for the bridegroom and his groomsmen to come in the night or the early morning, and the bride needed to be ready. So now you're thinking about the oil and the virgins, and you're going, wow. So here's what would happen. They would come. Here's how they would come. Trumpets would be blasting, shouting, the bridegroom cometh. People would wake up. Oh, it's early morning. The ceremony would actually take place outside under the stars. The contract would be, would be read and the blessing pronounced. And often the whole wedding party would go to the father's house. There you go, Alfredo. We're all coming to your house. And uh, <laughs> bride and the bridegroom would go into their little mouse, their little mansion, and there the marriage would be consummated. You guys with me still? Okay. Now, outside the door of the little mansion was the best man, the Shosban, S-H-O-S-B-A-N, the Shosban. He was the, fri- he was the friend of the bridegroom. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He says, he said, I am what? I am the Shosban. I am the friend of the bridegroom. I'm here to prepare the way. Now, check this out. Who wants that job, okay? Because here's what he would do. He would stand outside the door of the little room, and once the marriage was consummated, the bridegroom would yell out, okay, or no es bueno, which means not okay, which meant... Yes, she was a virgin, or no, she wasn't a virgin. How would I know? Well, remember, it would prove by the bedsheet that was spotted with blood. He'd come out and he'd show. Okay? Now, maybe you're thinking, um, here's where the picture breaks down. Because you're going, well, Ben, I'm not a chaste virgin. Okay? I've blown it so many times, and I continue to have problems with sin. Well, here's the good news. Okay? It's not our blood that deems us being okay. But it's his blood. His blood that was shed at Calvary, the one who's pure and the one who's never sinned. When his blood is applied to our lives, we're washed, we're justified, just as we had never sinned. This is glorious, saints. His blood cleanses me so that when I appear as his bride, according to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm without spot or blemish. Guess what the bridegroom, guess what the best man is saying? We're okay. We're in. We're in. So, when the Shosban gave the okay, guess what would happen? Everyone would break into rejoicing, and the seven-day celebration would begin. Now, for the seven days, the bride and groom were treated like kings and queens. Seven days. Okay, now check this out. For those seven days, guess what? The bride was not seen. What do you mean? The bridegroom would come out. Hey, how's everybody doing? You having a good time? And he would get a little bit of food, and he'd mingle with the guests, and then he would take his, his goodies, and he'd take his little food for his bride, and he would literally serve her. How many days? Seven. Seven days. Okay. Do you recall what Jesus declared in Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 37? He said, Blessed are the servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I will say to you, he will gird himself up and have him sit down and eat, and I will come and serve them. Can you imagine? That is going to trip me out. When we're in heaven, that all of a sudden, what's going on on earth is crazy, but the Lord Jesus is going to come and serve us. No, 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 no. I need to serve you, Lord. Wow. But it fits perfectly, doesn't it? What do you mean? It fits perfectly with what the Lord declaring concerning our situation. Now, here's where it gets interesting now back in Revelation. At the end of seven days, you guys ready? At the end of seven days, the bridegroom would come out of the little mansion and he would present his bride to the guests. And then, what would they do? They would sit down and have a big feast. That was at when? 
the end of seven days. This is called the wedding feast, and it would take place after the rest of the town would see the bridegroom with his bride. Do you remember in our Revelation study? Do you remember, guys? The, 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 we're up there in heaven, but we're not mentioned a whole lot. The tribulation saints are. Those that get saved during the tribulation, God, when are you going to, look what's going on. And we're going, I wonder what we're going to be doing. And we said, we're going to be parting, but right now we're, we're going to be, we're going to be with our Lord. He's going to be serving us. And at the end of that, that's where the marriage supper of the Lamb comes in. Look at verse 7. He says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And fine linen were the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. Okay, so question. What makes the bride ready? Well, simply put, is your robe on? What do you mean? Is your gown on? Well, um, what does that mean? In other words, have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? That's the righteous robe. His work on the cross to pay for your sins. You go, yes, Ben. Then the robe, you have been robed in his righteousness. Well, why do you tell me that? Well, Mary, here's why. Because I want you to sleep at night knowing that you are part of the bride of Christ and it's his blood and everything that makes us okay. That's what should bring peace in our hearts. That's what should bring peace in our hearts. So what made the bride ready? Faith. Do you guys know that? By faith. The righteous acts. Everyone who accepts Christ will, will, will be at the feast of the Lamb. The drabness or the lavishness of your wedding garment will be determined by your works here on earth. We're not saved by works, but our reward and position in God's kingdom will be determined by our faithfulness to what he's called us to do here on earth. Let's close with verse 10. He says, John says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have a testimony of, of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what happens? Once we learn all this, we should worship God. We should worship God. He says Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, guys. Do you realize that one-third of, of the Bible is prophecy? And Jesus Christ is all at the center of prophecy. Okay? So here's the bottom line. You ready? We're all invited to a wedding. It's going to happen. The best thing about going to a wedding is bringing along a friend. Okay? A plus one. But please don't be left behind wondering what's going up on in heaven while you endure hell hell here on earth. We need to be ready. The mohar is paid. It's all done. The rapture is taking place. He's serving us. But most importantly, here's what you need to see. In September 2021, we are getting reports that the bridegroom is on his way. You go, I didn't get no report. Weather? Weather patterns? Just a little, just weather patterns are weird. Okay. No, that's, that's climate change. No, weather pattern is God. Okay. He's, okay. His spirit? The spirit of Antichrist is here. You can see all that. There's a lot of signs, guys. Everything that we're going through right now, it's a lot of signs. Well, Ben, this has been going on forever. I mean, this has always been. That's my point. My point is the Lord has, he, he's been saying we're in the last days since, since Thessalonians, right? Since Peter. How much closer would we be? 
I was talking to a friend of mine today, and they were, they were cutting up and joking. And they were talking about the QR code, or the, the tattoo that's called the Luciferian that you can't see that's going to have all your information. And let, let's just get it and get on with life. And they're joking. And I looked them dead straight in the eyes, and I said, hey, listen, guys, listen, I'm going to tell you the one thing. And I said, hear me out. If you get left behind, I said, don't take the mark. I'm not going to get left. I said, listen to me. I'm telling you, this is nothing to joke about. It's here. And the Lord is, the Lord is, is, is saying, listen, it's coming. you hear the trumpets? It's coming. It's coming. And that's why we have to know, no matter what, we don't need a big production, but we need to leave here knowing that we've put our faith and trust in Jesus. And that's when we say, Lord, I surrender all. I give you my life. I believe. See, salvation is not about growing our church. Salvation is about growing God's kingdom. We need to make sure. Pastor, I'm saved. I am saved. I say, amen. You know what I would say? Go tell somebody. Why? I'm not a great evangelist. I don't know. Then be the best possible you at your job, at the store, in your neighborhood. Be that person. Don't be the ones that they're like, oh, I'm going to avoid her. I'm going to avoid him. Oh, he's always in a bad mood. Be the one, guys. Our church should be the one reaching out to our city. We should. And if you don't have it, pray for the heart of Christ. Because that's what we need. We need the heart of Christ to reach our city and minister to them. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you tonight for, wow, such an amazing study. And not because I taught it, Lord, but because your word is so rich. And Lord, we're all going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be glorious. But Lord, the bridegroom would go in and serve his bride. for Lord, for seven years, you're going to be serving us. And Lord, I want to serve you. You've done so much for me. I can't believe that, Lord. You've taken my sins away. You've put your peace and compassion and grace in my life. I don't deserve any of it. And I thank you, Jesus, for your beautiful work on the cross. But my heart is, God, if anyone here that doesn't know you today, Lord, your spirit would move. And so maybe you're watching via Facebook or maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered completely to God. You've never really said yes, 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 and yes, and yes to him. But tonight, you can already feel him. He was, he was talking to you throughout the message. And you're going, you know what? I need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. He's right. He's right. It's time is coming. And, and I don't want to be found. I don't want to be found wanting. I don't want to be found See, I don't know your heart, but God does. And so if you're here tonight or you're watching online or you're listening by podcast, would you do me a favor? If you want to surrender your life to God tonight, if you want to get right with him, if you want your sins forgiven and him to come in and just bless you with peace and joy, all the things that you know you're missing, all the things that you keep trying to replace with alcohol and pills or relationships or sex or whatever it might be, gambling or gaming, that it's time that you say yes to him. I'm going to give you an opportunity because this is the most important part. How so? Well, I'm just going to ask you right now, if you want Jesus to come and forgive you of your sins and you want to be invited into the family of God and you're ready to say yes, I want to pray for you. So will you just lift up your hand right now? Would you say, Pastor, I want to be saved. I don't care who's watching. I don't care what's going on. I want Jesus tonight. Would you do that right now? Would you just lift up? I'll pray for you. Nobody will see you. God will see you. And if you're watching online, you can just lift up your hand. You can just say, you can just hit me a comment, say, I lifted up my hand or whatever it might be. But we want to make sure that you are right with God before you leave these doors. Before I let you go, before I let you go, will you look at me for just a second?
I have one more story. One more story. It was a few weeks back. Church was out on a Sunday morning, and there was a few of us left here. And a couple comes in, distraught. We need to talk to the pastor. We need to talk to the pastor. Where are my wits in? And they sat right there, and, and for 45 minutes, I shared Jesus with them. And I said, listen, you can't make it without. Listen, if you want to go and you want to get help, there's AA down the road. But if you want your life to change, you need Jesus. You need to give your life. And we sat right there. And they both were crying. And we can't go on anymore. And I'm tired of drinking. I'm tired of the fighting. And we just don't trust each other. And they sat there and they sat there and they sat there. And after 45 minutes, I led them to Christ. And then I text him. I said, hey, come to church. We, you need to get play. Yeah. And uh, two weeks ago, I got a text. Hey, pastor, do you remember me? This is Fabio. Would you please pray for me? I've come down with COVID and, and I'm struggling. And oh, He didn't make it. But he made it. He gave his life to God. He made it. You understand? And you know what the Lord said? Do you know how much I love him? That he would. We've got to tell people about Jesus. We just don't know. I was like, I was like, what? What? Yeah, he didn't make it. This church, 45 minutes, proved eternity forever. Will you worship with me? We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.